This is the London FinTech Podcast, brought to you by your host, Mike Ballaman, bridging the worlds of suits and t-shirts, of finance and technology, bringing you insights, stories, and inspiration from the golden age of opportunity and innovation happening in London right now. Hi, this is Mike Ballaman, and this is London FinTech Podcast, episode 180, brought to you in association with Smart Pension and the unlistedboard.com. And I'm delighted to be joined today by Alessandro Zamboni, founder and CEO of Supply At Me, website supplymecapital.com, to talk about inventory monetization. Not a topic we have discussed directly before. Supply At Me free up working capital for manufacturing and trading businesses via a true sale of the inventory to a special purpose vehicle. It is always a pleasure to encounter fintechs that interface with the real world rather than bits in computers. And likewise, it's always interesting to see fintech maturing in the sophistication of the things that it encompasses. In LFP 122, we discussed securitizing trade finance to make it an investable asset class with Christopher Googleman, CEO of TradeTech. Supply at me do a similar thing, providing a new asset class for investors, this time not via invoices of stuff that's already been sold, but via monetizing the stuff that hasn't been sold. Plenty to talk about, so let's get on with the show. Good morning, Alessandro. Thank you for joining me on the show today. Good morning, Mike. And you're obviously leading, apart from Supply at Me's incarnation, you're obviously leading a far more interesting life than me because you're sitting in uh, in Italy, where it's been sunny in the UK, actually, but it, uh, I bet it's even warmer down there. Which part of Italy are you in? I'm near Milan, Bergamo. Okay, okay. And we'll get on to Supply at Me in a minute. But uh, Supply at Me are in how many countries or how many offices? Or Yes, uh, we, we are working uh, with, uh, across several countries. So we start in Italy, but now we are operating uh, with a global footprint, basically. Oh, interesting. Right. Well, before we get into the, the fascinating topic of uh, inventory financing, a, a little bird tells me that in one of your previous incarnations, in your prior life, you were a, a musician or something. What, what did you play and, and when? Yes, well, I, I was a, a guitar player. So uh, for me, the guitar is a, also a way to, to think, to give uh, also get a new ideas. And uh, I play the guitar since uh, uh, 20 years. What type of guitar? Acoustic, electric, all the, you know, all the phases in the guitar journey. It started with the classic, then acoustic, and then electric. Oh, cool. So do you just play for fun, or have you ever played in concerts or in bands? Or? For fun, in the past, uh, uh, in the university time, uh, we had also a group. We made several, also an album. So also for... Uh, our dream, firstly, to, to have our music, to, to play our music. Oh, that sounds um, very, very cool. So in terms of the gap between being at university, playing in a band and, and recording an album and today being a CEO of uh, Supply at Me, how, how did that journey go? How did you transform from a musician into uh, a fintech founder and somebody who was uh, fascinated by inventory financing rather than uh, guitar strings? Um, I think that the in common of these two activities is the, the, the understanding of the rules and uh, also the importance of the rules. And uh, after my period in university, I worked uh, nearly 20 years in a regulatory advisory firm 
that basically with what we did, we did a regulatory project for banks, insurance, uh, you know, the Basel IV, the Basel regulation, the, the solvency II regulation. So my experience uh, was focused on uh, understanding how a bank uh, is to, ma- to be managed. The regulation, the capital adequacy rules, a very important experience uh, considering uh, uh, the Supplemi initiative, because basically Supplemi initiative is uh, gaining traction from constraints, limits of a banks in order to monetize or fund inventories. Is the reason because we decide to establish the uh, Supplemi. I see. And when was it uh, established? Uh, we established the Supplemi in um, 2017, Firstly, as a startup company in Italy, and then we move uh, through the reverse takeover, uh, you know, in UK last year. And uh, because we saw basically that Supplemi has a global uh, footprint uh, and they offer the service uh, is a, an interesting service uh, for companies that can be operating uh, across uh, several countries, not only Italy. Italy obviously is a, a great country related to the manufacturing, but you know that uh, the manufacturing industries or other trading uh, sectors, uh, also UK, the Europe, uh, the Middle East are very interesting countries for us. Yes, well, as I said in the introduction, on the podcast, uh, we've covered quite a few supply chain finance, but uh, mainly for fintechs offering supply chain finance to vendors who are selling stuff and they've sold stuff and haven't got the money or for buyers who want to buy stuff from Bangladesh or clothing and and they you know they need financing there but we haven't touched on before the subject of financing inventory or working capital which has been an important topic probably for 4000 years uh, if not more but um, especially perhaps since the industrial revolution in that if you are a manufacturer of tractors you may build a hundred tractors, you have them sitting in your warehouse, you have salesmen trying to sell them, but you've had to pay for all of, this, all of the parts, all of the ingredients to go into the tractors, you have to pay for all the labour. And for those, those people not familiar with working capital, that's basically what working capital is. You, you need this money. And it's very easy for people in the modern digital age where the kind of almost, almost the product is just bits to forget that there are many businesses that need large sums of money to finance their business and without working capital as we saw in Eastern Europe for many decades it's very hard to be a good car manufacturer because you're held back and you're trying to save money. So maybe we can just start with a little bit of the history of how this has worked in the past. So if I was making tractors let me say 40 years ago when I I was at school instead I I left and I made tractors I could not make tractors without capital (laughs) as I say, to finance all the bits I need and the, the tractors sitting in a warehouse before my salesman sold the tractors. So if we go back decades and then we'll fast forward to the solution and the issues you've seen and the opportunities, how did inventory financing work in the past? I mean, you mentioned banks. I, I presumably would have to call a bank and I'd call NatWest Bank and I'd say, hello, NatWest, I need some financing. And they say, why? And they say, I'm building hundreds of tractors. Yes. So how did it work in the past? Great. Uh, in the past a bank and uh, let me to say also now uh, a bank uh, has to uh, understand firstly the the, the counterparty the the manufacturer the credit risk the reputation also 
the family, the, the, the asset of the, the, the business owner, and then uh, they can't assess, the, they, they were not be able to assess the, the tractors, but basically they saw the balance sheet and say, okay, I can finance nearly 20 to 30% of the value of your tractors. And in addition, uh, I can ask also guarantees. I have to ask guarantees personal guarantees in the, from the business owner asset, individual asset in a in specific case. So basically in the perspective of uh, the, the, the business owner, the inventory financing uh, plain vanilla, ordinary facility uh, was and now is not uh, a great facility, honestly. Because, uh, as I'm saying, there are a lot of guarantees asked that the advanced rate is very lower and is a debt. The key important point is a debt. So in a balance sheet of the business owner, there is a debt to be refunded. Yes. So, so from that, um, you explained it very well. Going back to what I said, which is I have the inventory and I wanted financing. The first point to bring out of this is that historically people didn't do that. We'll get to how Supply at Me does it uh, uh, right now. But historically, as you uh, explain, if it was in the 1970s, the bank actually finances the company. It finances the company. It checks out what the company is doing in that. It's not so much interest in the tractors, but it looks at all these other things, the capital and the shareholders and, and, and personal guarantees and all these complicated things. So it's actually financing the company which is a slightly different transaction. And, the co- and manufacturing companies, of course, need large amounts of equity capital because banks will not fund ever 100% of, of, of anything for understandable reasons because they don't want to lose money. So bringing this forward into the modern world, what was it from your work with banks that made you think or made you understand that rather than banks just lending money to the company in the traditional fashion they have been for 100, 200, 300, probably 400 years, that there's a different approach, which is that rather than looking at Mike and his company and his family and the assets and guarantees and his house and all this kind of stuff, that you had an idea that, ah, I think there's a way of financing just the inventory, not the whole company. So therefore, the company doesn't need guarantees. It doesn't need a debt. And of course, there's terms and conditions on the debt. So if I borrow a million pounds from a bank and, and I don't repay it, maybe one day the bank ba- uh, breaks my company and bankrupts it and, and sells everything. So all sorts of problems with financing the company. So what was it that made you wake up one morning, Alessandro, and think, ah, oh, I think that the inventory could be financed and then you work out how to do that? It's correct. Basically, we are, we moved, we are moving from a cash-based approach that is typically a bank to an asset-based approach. And so the key point is to understand the marketability of your inventory, the inventory, the tractors, an example. And uh, for our point of view and our value, uh, the value of our service is uh, are two. One is the, that we are asset-based. So we are not interested to your family, to your asset, uh, to ask guarantees because we are not a bank. Secondly, it's not a lending, it's not a credit, it's not a debt from your side, it's a commercial facility. You can sell the inventory to me, to the platform, you can monetize the inventory, your stock, your tractors via a sales, a true sales, and you can keep the stock, the tractors in your warehouse on your premises 
and continue to sell to your customers. And you basically you are sourcing the unsold risk. If you will not sell the instructors to your customers, the platform will pick up the, the stock and resell to third parties. So it's not this is the key point, is not a financing, is a monetization. I see. Okay, so in all of this, as you will know, because you've been looking at the regulations for ages, banking always looks very simple from the outside, but on the inside, there's lots of little details and lots of little twists and differences. So we spoke before about debt financing of the company as working capital, but also there are there is asset-based financing, which has been around for a long time. And then there are things like higher purchase and, and all sorts of complicated banking transactions. So moving away from the banking approach, what you, it seems to me, have brought to this more is a kind of a capital markets attitude. And obviously, it may work well in some sectors and not others. If I've built my own tractors here, I'm probably not going to get a good deal from anybody, uh, including supply me, because no one's heard of me, my tractors, <laughs> no, nobody knows and all that kind of stuff. Whereas I don't know, I don't know which sectors, we'll talk about sectors later. But let's say I've got milk from cows or something, and I've got a million gallons of milk that you know, their milk is pretty much milk. And I know there's different qualities, but it's a bit more uh, simple or I'm digging gold from the ground or something like that and, and we know what the, the gold is like but let's put let's put the details to one side let's just stick with the simple thing of tractors so maybe we could just go over how this works so historically if you're doing working capital the bank assesses the company as we discussed now you let's say there's nobody in the company but there's just you and you you do everything and you work a thousand hours a day by some clever clever way you will go and have a look at the tractors or you will find out about the tractors and you know this kind of thing and let's say i've got tractors are worth a million pounds where is the risk being taken because let's say you buy a million pounds of tractors from me at a discount i presume you give me nine hundred thousand pounds for the sake of argument you then own a million pounds of tractors but you or the platform at that point has a risk on a million pounds of tractors because maybe they will never sell, you know? So first of all, who owns the risk? Or does, is it or you just a platform that does this transaction and then an investor on the other side invests in that and he takes the risk. So you buy, the, you, you buy a million pounds of tractors from me for 900 and for the sake of argument, you sell it to the investor at 850 and he, he owns that and he's got the risk. How does that risk transfer work? It's correct what you are uh, you explained. Uh, firstly, the platform has not uh, any risk on uh, its balance sheet. So, supply me capital and uh, uh, the subsidiaries is a poor a pure fintech business. So, uh, we have no risk uh, related to the unsold the market risk of uh, the underlying like the tractors. Uh, the, the mission of the platform is uh, to create a sort of bridge between the capital markets, so the investors, and you know that uh, now the need of the investor-based professional institutional is moving to illiquid assets in order to get uh, more returns, higher returns. And so the second mission of SupplyMe is to promote a new asset class for investors that can... Uh, basically through notes, through financial instruments, can subscribe a financial instrument that has as underlying not credit, no receivables, no leasing, no mortgage, but the marketability of inventories. And this is a key point because uh, banks are in for and uh, has to manage the restrictions of the regulation. They have to reduce the credit exposures 
and also they, they have to pay attention to the leverage of each companies that also take in consideration the COVID, uh, each company is, uh, is increasing its uh, leverage ratio, so the debt, basically. And so the banks uh, will not be able to fund uh, more these kind of companies. And the reason, because Supremi is taking nearly one year to educate the investor base to this new asset class. And so is a bridge between the capital markets and the client companies that need to monetize the, their stock. I see. So in simple terms, you're a marketplace. Something comes in one side of the business and goes out the other side to the investors and, it, and it's always matched. You've got buyers and, and sellers at both ends. Just to, to note this point, because I also we, previously we, uh, we talked about supply and the marketplace. Uh, honestly, the, mar- the marketplace is quite different because the marketplace allows a seller to promote its uh, products uh, to buyers. I see. So it's more like a listing board. It's more like somewhere that you go and people post, I've got a, a flat to rent. I've got a, you know, a job going and, and you're a pin board and they just pin it on there. And other people who want jobs or flats come along and they read your thing. Oh, I'd like a, a million pounds of tractor risk. I see. Okay. So in terms of how the, the process works from one side to the other then, you mentioned special purpose vehicles which are obviously very important in terms of capital markets and financializing things. It's, it turns a million pounds of tractors into a piece of paper with lots of sort of legal stuff and saying, I own this and, and, and all that kind of stuff. And maybe rating agencies, I, I don't know, get involved and rate the special purpose vehicle. So who or what turns a million pounds worth of tractors in a warehouse into a special purpose vehicle company and and all the articles and all the details and all this thing and and, and shares and who does that transformation? This is the the key point, the role of the platform. The platform uh, uh, digitalizes each inventory items and uh, creates digital legal binding uh, certificates that the platform can package through vehicles into a financial instrument. So do you create a vehicle for my million pound tractors called Mike's Million Pound Tractors, whatever the Italian initials are for limited or PLC, um, and then you sell all of that in one go or you then sell shares in it? So I can, so an investor could buy 10% of Mike's tractors and 10% of, uh, of Bob's hairdryers or whatever. Right. Uh, firstly, each vehicle that is segregated from a supply me by not only tractors, but a portfolio of several inventories so it's diversified it's not concentrate on one company and one type of inventory of goods so the, the vehicle purchases uh, several inventories and issue a financial instrument that allow investors to purchase to subscribe for instance 10 percent 15 percent on of a diversified portfolio I see. So the SPV, the supply at me, is acting much more like uh, a fund manager. So you're, you're off, in this way, you digitize, as you say, by, by taking assets um, and turning them into a, a company and something that's a financial instrument. And you then sort of separately, just keeping it simply on a whiteboard, you, you separately have a department called fund management. And the fund management department sits there and said, oh, we need more tractors. And, you know, they buy some tractors or in that. And they, they want more hairdryers. We buy hairdryers or they want more milk and they buy milk. And they create just kind of 
not technically, but in simple terms, a kind of mutual fund, as it were, with lots of different assets inside them. And then, then the other part of the process is that having created that, you, quotes have a sales team or a board who say, oh, look, and here we've got this fund and we've got that fund and these are the assets and, and lying. Is that roughly how it works? Uh, it's correct. It's, um, a, it's really a fund. It's a, we decided this year, also considering uh, the, the demand, the, 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 um, uh, our countries, so our diversified portfolio across uh, uh, geographies, to establish a fund. So uh, is exactly what you explained. It's also the reason because uh, we decide to purchase, to buy trade flow capital, the Singapore initiative that we announced uh, uh, in March is also the reason uh, to the, of this um, acquisition is uh, related to the opportunity to create synergies in order to have a global fund for in a, that has basically a global footprint and manage like a fund our vehicles and also allow the increasing of the funding capacity in order to monetize more and more inventories. So that's very clear and it's very interesting and it seems very innovative. We've just been talking about tractors so far as a simple understandable example. I would assume that this whole digitization, this whole financialization process would work better on some kinds of assets which are more liquid, shall we say, and work less well on, I don't know, works of art. Let's say Mike doesn't have a million pounds of tractors, but he's done lots of paintings. And Mike says, my paintings in this warehouse, I think they're worth a million pounds. Then the less liquid things, without a secondary market of any sort or purchase history, must be much harder. So in terms of what you've been doing so far, which kind of asset sectors are working well for this and which kind of asset sectors wouldn't work well with this approach? The mission of Supplet Me is to try to generate a liquid secondary market for each type of sectors. So now we are working on 16 sectors and is a wide range because we are working from livestock to toys to wine parapharmaceutical, capital goods as an example of um, the tractors, metals, because our model is different to the trade finance model that need commodities, they need high liquidable, high marketability uh, inventories, goods. Uh, we basically for each transaction that is our, is our client, we have remarketers, auctions, we create a secondary market in order to work with several sectors, different sectors, and also to support the real economy. Because the, the key point is that all the capital markets industry want to uh, see commodities in a trade finance, prefer to also as a, a very low risk appetite to this kind of transaction. And our mission is also the reason that takes time, is taking time, is that uh, we are creating a secondary market for each type of goods. For instance, uh, we, we, we are uh, setting a transaction uh, with a toys producer that, that uh, buy toys from China, transform the toys uh, or transform part of the toys and sell the toys through three brands across the Europe. 
And so they have a days in inventory, that is the time where there are not credit facilities in order to finance the working capital need. The days in, invent days in inventory is nearly uh, 100 days uh, from when uh, the, the, the toys are shipped and arrive in Europe. They need uh, 100 days to sell through the point of sales across Europe. And so they need to, they, they, the opportunity is to monetize once the, the toys uh, has been shipped uh, in Europe and waiting to be sold through the point of sales. This is an example. Another example are wine producer, the Brunello supply chain or other uh, high quality wine producer. And uh, it's the same. This kind of producer also due to COVID has to manage, they haven't sold the wine and they need to manage the new production. And so it's important to monetize, to create cash, free, free, free up cash from their stock in order to allow them to prepare the new production. I see. Well, it's very interesting that you've already, in a relatively short period of time, managed to find many sectors of the, of the, the economy and, and actually help those. I mean, I'm wondering, going back to the, the wine producer, I'm a producer of port now in the future, in a few years' time, uh, when I've retired from podcasting, and I'm up the Duru, um, and I've got a, a thousand bottles of port. And I remember our conversation, and I think, oh, these local Portuguese banks, they don't finance very well, and you know, but actually, I'm sure Alessandro will give me a good price, so I speak to you, I get a good price. So, as I understand it, I've sold my thousand bottles of port to your special purpose vehicle, which kind of owns them and, and, and it's gone in towards a fund and then the investors own that. So if I've sold my assets, this is a very simple, question, silly question. I probably should have worked it out before. If I've sold you my thousand bottles of wine, how can I sell it to somebody else? Because it's not my wine to sell. Obviously, I want to sell it to, I don't know, Oddbins or something in the UK or whoever's a, you know, a good wine distributor in Italy and all that. Do I have to buy it back from you? Yes, uh, basically, is the innovation of the platform is not only made by technology, but also the legal contracts, the accounting rules that uh, are man managing uh, the transaction. So basically, you thanks to Suplemi, you move from a principal view to an agent view. And uh, so you sell to me, to the platform, You, I, I, another important point, the platform uh, doesn't uh, buy a discount. The platform buy at your book value plus a margin. Because there is a, a very important point is the economic substance of the transaction in order to avoid any clawback risk, any legal risk. For sure, thanks to your bottle of wine, you have a mar contribution margin of uh, 100%, for instance. And, and then I can buy your, your bottle of wine at the book value plus 20% of margin. So you are happy at day one. Then you continue to sell as an agent. And once you, you find a client, you purchase the stock, the, the bottle of wine from the platform at the same price, book value plus 20, 20%. And you sell to the third party, so your client, and you achieve the rest of the contribution margin. And the platform will ask you a part of this margin in order to be paid for this uh, powerful inventory monetization service. Okay, well, I can understand that, as you say, the legal thing is very uh, important here. We don't have time to get into that and how the 
contracts work. Um, and also, like a lot of this sort of asset-based financing, uh, it can be very complicated to manage because, you know, you're sitting there in Bergamot and uh, one day, actually Port is a bad example, but anyway, one day you find out that sort of Mike's gone bust or Mike hasn't been trying to sell, sell it, he's run away to the sort of Canary Islands or something like that. Now, Port is a bad example because actually Port lasts for decades and decades, so you've got a long time to wind down that asset and actually that asset will probably appreciate over, over time, so a very bad example there. But the challenge of asset-based financing is that if something goes wrong somehow then and Mike just disappears off the face of the earth, then you've got an SPV with wine that has no agent trying to sell it. It's a bit like a, a bad debt where you've closed the company down and you've taken the assets and you've got to sell them off. So in terms of this sort of almost bad bank component, which is that, ah, this company disappeared, we actually have got to physically collect a, a thousand bottles of wine or something, or we need to find a new agent or we need to rent the property. How does that kind of wind down process work very briefly? Because I know it's very complicated, but just simply put for, for you guys. It's important uh, this kind of, that the platform manages basically this, this framework. The, the, the platform has to prevent this event through the monitoring weekly, mo monthly, depending on the, the type of sectors. The platform has to detect the event and react. So if weekly or monthly there are problems related to this, the commercial KPIs because the legal contracts are very important because we basically we manage a sort of commercial covenant, information covenant and through the platform. We monitor weekly, monthly if there are a breach of KPIs and in case of breach, our servicer, because we work with several servicers through the world, we are based in the UK. In Italy, we have a servicer. In UK, we have a special servicer. Act immediately, go to the warehouse. The goods are, are our ownership, so we have a, no problem legally to enforce the contract and pick up the stock and resell to third parties that day one already signed a binding agreement to repurchase all the stocks at the same price that the platform applied to you. I see. So you've got you kind of got an under underwriter at the end. You, you've got a reinsurance agent who reinsures the transaction, and you have the local services. And I, I get the KPI point. So for the sake of argument, you bought my thousand bottles of wine, uh, and I signed an, I signed some piece of paper saying. I've got a KPI of selling 10 bottles a week or something. Can you measure it over a rolling month? And, oh, yeah, Mike was selling 15 last month, but now he's only selling one. What's gone on? You know, and your servicer goes around to find it. And then in terms of um, this legal stuff, presumably the servicer also uh, has to manage, um, as with all commercial transactions, but especially banking transactions, fraud risk, which is one day somebody goes to check my warehouse and they find there's no, there's no port there. Mike drank it all. <laughs> His business was going so badly. He was lying about the KPIs and all this kind of stuff. Oh my God. And there he is. He's dead in the corner because he drank too much port. But again, this fraud risk has also got to be managed uh, and is part of the overall pricing and the, and the commercial structure. Well, that sounds very fascinating. And, and, and it's really a very 
involved one. I mean, going back to my prior incarnations when I was head of risk and, uh, and looking at all the transactions and asset-based finance and all that, it, for those people who don't work in this field, it's very easy to underestimate how complex it is to get all these moving pieces going. It's a very big machine. And as I said in the introduction, it's very fascinating for me and hopefully for listeners to find out that fintech is doing more and more complex things. It's not just like we do your foreign exchange dollar sterling transaction slightly cheaper, which is very good to do, but it's now getting on to more grown up things. So before we wrap up the show, I'd like to thank all the listeners out there and my brand partners for the podcast. Smart is transforming pensions and retirement worldwide. Their leading edge retirement tech platform propelled them to success in the UK. Now they're operating on four continents and working with partners like Zurich and JP Morgan. Find out more at www.smart.co. The unlistedboard.com resources to help you start making your board an engine of growth today. So that's been very clear and, and very fascinating, Alexandra. And I know, I know, I now know a bit more about that than I do about playing the guitar. I can't even remember what the chords look like. And I never was very good in the first place. So a very complicated business like yours, you've got lots of moving parts, you've got agents, you need to find sellers, you need to find buyers, you need to find management. Uh, it's, a, it's a very complex thing. So in terms of the future for Supply Me, what's the main developments you're expecting over the next one or two or three years? And what more do you need to make you more successful if any of the people listening to this show have got them? Because I assume a business like yours, you know, it's like you're, you're at sort of the centre of a wheel and the spokes going out in all directions. So maybe you give us a bit more of an idea of the future, where you're going, where you hope to go and what you need to get there even faster. Yes, the company uh, has to walk uh, across two trajectories. The first one is to create a global inventory monetization fund. Because we are a lot of synergies, the capital markets is asking uh, new illiquidity assets with the higher returns and uh, the, also to help, uh, want to help the um, real economy. And uh, having an inventory monetization global fund is a very important uh, need an opportunity for, for supply me to uh, monetize inventories for all our portfolios that is huge the second one is to create a, an offer is the reason because we acquired the trade flow capital uh, uh, singapore business in order to have a sort of an end-to-end inventory monetization offering so we can monetize inventory if it's in transit and if it's on a warehouse on the premises of a client company. I see. So I can see why some references have been talking about supply chain finance in terms of what you're doing, because if the tractors are in uh, my factory, uh, my warehouse, it's, they're clearly my tractor, well, they're clearly the tractors. But if they are on a container uh, ship going to Singapore, and I've kind of solved them, then it's um, a slightly didn't matter, or just moving the inventory around. And you have many types of partners from agents and banks and manufacturers and, and all that. What kind of new contacts or partnerships do you need to make Supply Me even, even bigger over the next few years? What, what are you needing most at the moment? I think that uh, now that we are ready to deliver the transactions for the transaction, it's very important for us to have an originator partner in uh, all countries in, uh, across the world. Europe, South America, North America, uh, Middle East. We are ready to create an, a great ecosystem of originator partners that can also be banks, that can want to foster our unique monetization service to their customer base. We need to manage a great business expansion. 
I can understand that. And on the other side, what process do you have for reaching more and more investors to invest in your, your fund or asset classes? How do you market the fund? I think that uh, having now uh, a global uh, funding structure, we'll have uh, more opportunity to talk with a, a single, simple structure to investors. And uh, we spent one year, the market is nervous, but we spent one year to educate uh, several uh, investors that now are ready. I'm sure that uh, for this side uh, that is made by followers, basically, when we made the first transactions, uh, we have the opportunity to talk in very simple way to the big uh, global asset manager that will be interested to our structure that uh, will be to be uh, very simple. So we are reducing the complexity in order to allow the investor base to invest in our structure. Excellent. Well, thank you very much, that Alessandro. You've explained it very clearly, and I think it's a very interesting business you've got there. And um, as I say, it's interesting to see fintech getting more sophisticated. I mean, I've always, as somebody who's been a banker for many decades, proper banker in the past, I've always thought that fintech was important and interesting, but actually to an extent child's play. Fintech has started with the easy things in a bank. I mean, doing foreign exchange is easy. It's not easy to make a profit out of it, but that's a different thing. But there are all the whole parts of uh, financial services which are very complicated. Lots of operational risk. You need to organise lots of things. And success comes out of not doing a simple thing well, but doing many, many complicated things well. And like a, the con- you're like a conductor of an orchestra. You're standing there, you've got violins, you've got cellos, you've got bassoons. No guitars, actually, because you don't have them in orchestras. Pity. <laughs> and, and all sorts of things and pulling it together. So I'm really pleased to hear that fintech is going in that uh, direction. I'm also pleased that, especially in the crazy world that governments have made over the last year, that it's a fintech that's helping the real world. Because we look around ourselves now, we're surrounded by physical objects. I'm surrounded by physical objects. My head may be in the computer all the time, but the world is full of physical objects. And we need the physical world to get better as well as the digital world. And you're doing a unique part in helping the physical world and the digital world. So I wish you every success in the future. And thank you for coming on the show. Thank you, Mike. Thanks for listening. If you are in need of a non-executive or advisory director with deep expertise, experience and contacts in the worlds of both traditional FS and fintech or unique insight into how to make your board an engine of growth today, contact me at mike at mikeballiman.com. If you just need one-off advice in these areas via clarity.fm slash mikeballiman. We could sit in a bender all day Watching the firelight dance Watching the firelight dance We could walk in the mountains before dawn Watching a happy moon ride Watching a happy moon ride Come away from the city But with the tarmac so dead And the people so sad Come away from the city But with the faces so grey
We are wild like the mountains and the trees. Can you see what I mean? Can you see what I mean? We fit in between the earth and the sky. Kiss the city goodbye. Wave the city goodbye. Wave the city goodbye. Watch the firelight dance with me. 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 Watch the firelight.